I'm Ben Easter, and you're listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast, the podcast that gives you the mindsets, strategies, tips, and tricks to live your freedom and love your life. If you're here, I suspect that you have a total badass inside you, but chances are that you haven't let it play full out yet. Maybe you've been told not to, that it's too much. Maybe you've been worried about what other people will think, or maybe you just haven't made the space to shine. If any of that sounds familiar, you've come to the right place. Each week, my co-hosts and I will be exposing the lies that keep that badass chained and, more importantly, sharing the tools to help you break free and share that most authentic you with the world. So, if you want more freedom, possibility, or courage, then I'd invite you to take a deep breath, get curious, and listen carefully for your shift to freedom. Welcome back to the Shift to Freedom podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Paige Easter, and I'm here with my badass husband and co-pilot in life, Benjamin Easter. And today I'm super excited about this. Hi, husband. I'm super excited about this topic. It's been in the works for a long time, something that I've really been thinking about. And so today's episode is about our nervous system, our somatic experience, our bodily experience of our reality and how that plays a really important role in what we're able to do cognitively or intellectually in the world. I think this is a really important topic because a lot of times we can think that stuff is happening in our minds and just try to address it with like our thoughts and the way that we're thinking. I'm a big proponent of thought work, obviously, but sometimes the physiological experience of what we're going through is an easier way in and uh, can have as big, if not a bigger impact than, um, thinking different thoughts. And sometimes the thoughts are just a way to get us to change our physiology. So uh, we can kind of like short circuit or cut out the middleman by working on the physiology in general. Yeah, totally. I think that our body and mind has these interconnections that feed off of each other. And one way to address what's going on with us, if it's not feeling very good, is to use our thoughts. But sometimes there's things going on in the body that we just aren't realizing because we are so much in our minds and thinking things through logically that we can also use the body as an intercept point of noticing what's going on in our physiology and doing things to encourage our body into different states so that we have access to those cognitive resources to be able to go out and do and create the beautiful things we want to in our lives. Totally. Unleashing cognitive resources. Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah, yeah I, uh, maybe it makes sense for us to talk a little bit about the central nervous system and um, the parasympathetic versus sympathetic distinction here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. That's a great place to start. Yeah. So you might have heard of this distinction, sympathetic, parasympathetic. Um, it's also called sympathetic is sometimes called the fight or flight system. And parasympathetic is also sometimes called the rest and digest system. And so the way that this works is that your, your, your nervous system can only be in one of those two states. It's like a light switch. A lot of the things in the body kind of work more like a dimmer switch. So like our hormone levels, they, they have varying different levels. And depending on the level, like the degree to which our body is impacted can be shifted. But the nervous system is like a, more like a light switch. This, this parasympathetic sympathetic distinction is more like a light switch. So you're either in sympathetic fight or flight or you're in parasympathetic rest and digest. You, there's, there's not like a dimmer where you're like half and half between the two. 
recognizing that distinction because that fight or flight, that is like when we're, you know, getting away from predators. That's when we're dealing with like high stress environments. And then the, the parasympathetic is more like where we are relaxed and we're like in more creativity and we have, you know, kind of space to think rationally about things. And I think that this is an important distinction for people, people to understand in the modern day because very rarely are we ever being chased by saber toothed tigers <laughs> nowadays. And yet, uh, news cycles, stress cycles, all of that stuff can happen and come and trick us into stepping into a sympathetic nervous system where we are really good at running away and saving our lives, but we're not so effective at creative brainstorming or kind of solving problems or connecting with people, that sort of thing. So just a useful distinction to make up front. Yeah, totally. I think there's a bunch of different models to think through what is kind of going on in our nervous system and like the one you just outlined is one way of thinking about it. I've been studying polyvagal theory developed by Stephen Porges. And one of the ways they look at this is there's like a, a window of tolerance. And that would be kind of like we're in our parasympathetic nervous system things are going well, we feel safe, we feel connected to other people. And we're in when we're in within that window of tolerance, we're able to access cognitive resources, problem solve, understand other people's perspective, leverage our creativity, etc. And there's outside of that window of tolerance, there's a hyperactivated state, which is just like you said, like that sympathetic fight or flight, I got to get out of here, I got to run and like do stuff. And then there's also a hypo activated. And this is kind of our freeze, our freeze zone. And so there are some connections between anxiety and being hyperactivated, thinking about, oh, there's all these things to like worry about and like run around and do. And then a hypo activated state would be more like a depressive state. And what I really want to call attention to in this episode is how frequently we are like in general operating in a state of hyperactivity and not even aware of it. And I think some of this just comes from kind of the cultural idealization of like the hustle and like the glorification of productivity. And so sometimes people will feel this sense on their inside, like an unsettled, maybe a lack of grounded sensation. And then they will continue to feed into that state by running around and doing things. And because we're already in that state, we're called to do things that are very active. So people will say like, oh, I'm going to go to a yoga class to try and like calm myself down. But they'll go to a really active power yoga class. And then they're feeding into the system of hyperactivity without realizing that what they might actually benefit from is something a little more soothing so that they can come into a calmer space on their insides and then be able to solve problems from a different, more clear headspace. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because we I, like what happens in those power yoga classes, I think, is we mistake endorphins, the feeling for endorphins for the feeling of relaxation and a calm nervous system. And it's not always clear that that distinction exists because part of why this is happening is because of habituation. So, you know, if I were to bring a say a tuning fork and stand over you while you were waking up with the tuning fork ringing, you wouldn't notice it likely when you woke up that there was a tuning fork going on. You would only maybe notice, become aware of it as it stopped ringing or something like that. So this is like uh, an example of habituation. So our brain will basically, because 
uh, we're set up, the brain is set up to help us survive. It's also set us set up to notice new things in our environments. And so it will tune out things that are happening in an ongoing way. This is why pain becomes less urgent the longer we live with it. It's because the brain is like, all right, yeah, I get it. Pain is just pain. And we're like dealing with it for a long period of time. So chronic pain has a very different quality than like acute pain that happens. And that's because partly because of this habituation. So what's happening with our nervous system is when we're in this sort of low level anxiety all the time, we don't necessarily notice that we're in that level of anxiety unless we become consciously aware of it. <laughs> I like, I love this kind of conversation because I'm checking in on my body while I'm doing it. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm feeling it right now in this moment. Yeah, totally. Would you be willing in this moment to just walk you and I through a breath to surrender? Because I'm feeling a little bit of that like anxiety too. And I want to offer people a really useful model for something super quick and easy to use in the moment when maybe we're feeling a little unsettled, noticing an elevated heart rate, noticing our breathing being a little shallow, maybe feeling a little like fluttery on our insides and an inability to sit still and avoid the temptation to like pick up our phone or get up and move or like interject and like talk really fast. So walk us through breath to surrender so that both you and I can experience some centering in this moment. Yeah, absolutely. So this is one of my favorite tools. It's a physiological tool. And it's great because you you can calm your physiology down and that will have a calming effect of on your mind because like it doesn't really matter which one comes first, whether the thoughts that we think or the or the body that we're enacting will like they both go together. So it doesn't matter whether you're watching something funny and you laugh or you laugh and then you experience what funny is in your body. They'll go together. So what a breath of surrender is, I learned this in uh, my Chinese medicine days. And uh, one of our massage teachers would would have us do this at the beginning of every class to kind of get us centered and get us present. We would do a few uh, of these in a row. So breath to surrender is, uh, the full technique is we start with an exhale. And the way that that was explained to me was because we want to clear the stale air out of our lungs first. That's how we want to begin the exercise. And then we're going to inhale to capacity, to absolute capacity, fill your lungs up. And I've lately, I've been really like thinking about how infrequently we actually fill our lungs up, like really use all of our lungs. And I think that's such an interesting like we have a part of our body that we just don't use frequently because we habitually don't use it. But so then we're going to fill our lungs up. Step two is fill our lungs to absolute capacity to the point where you're like continuing to try to pack more air into your lungs. And then we're going to let it all out with an audible sigh. So it's going to, we're going to actually vocalize when we, when we exhale, not just like, but like, so that we're going to vocalize a little bit and that's going to help to snap the diaphragm back. So when you breathe, your diaphragm is this parachute shaped muscle that's underneath your, your lungs. And when you breathe, it expands down into your belly. And when we, when we exhale, we want that to snap back up. It's like a kind of like a rubber band to come back up. And that'll, and then you, if you've done this properly and you've uh, released, so, cause this is another thing that I want to mention to the listener. We're going to try to release any tension in our throat when we're relaxing, when we're breathing out. So we're not. <sighs> like that, <sighs> like, re- like we're, like we're relaxing. Yeah. As though you're just like letting all the air out of a balloon at once. So we're going to be doing that, listening for tension in your vocal cords as you exhale. And then we're going to just let that, that diaphragm spring back. And if you've done it, you will notice a slight wave of relaxation. Okay. And that is the, that is the, 
the sort of the feeling of that light switch of the sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system switching over to parasympathetic. All right, so um, let's do one of these together. So we'll exhale all the way out. Inhale to capacity. <sighs> Audible. Breath is for now. Let's do one more of those. It helps to do a couple. So exhale all the way out. Inhale to capacity. <sighs> so good. Nice. Yeah. Little little spark of uh, relaxation. What's really cool too is if you are in any work where you want to do creativity in your work, doing one of these before you begin your your creative work can be really useful because and doing it throughout your work as well because it helps to access more of the creative parts of our brains and to chill ourselves out and to get ourselves into the, that alpha brainwave, which is a different way of looking at relaxation. But the alpha brainwave is going to be that more like lucid, clear-headed sort of creative space to be in. So really useful exercise. And you'll notice if you just did this with us that your nervous system feels calmer right now. Yeah, I definitely feel that. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? You have access to that all the time. I think that's one of the coolest things about it is because you like, there's literally never a time when you don't have time to breathe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Totally. I think that it's worth mentioning that despite this being accessible to us in any moment, I think if we are in a hyper, in a hyper activated, like nervous system state that we might feel the draw to continue to like feed into that hyperactivity and allow ourselves to be distracted and kind of run around either physically in our world or mentally in our headspace, picking up our phone, checking our email. And we might actually even feel a little bit of a resistance to taking that deep breath because there's something in our system that's saying things aren't okay. There's danger around. Keep moving. And the thing is about what's really great about a breath to surrender, other somatic experiences, breath work, even visualization, meditation, things like that, is it is signaling to the body that things are okay. Where like you can't take a deep breath and fill your lungs if you're actively running from something dangerous, which in our contemporary world, it could be a deadline versus a tiger or a social relationship that's at risk or something else like that. That is really, it can be helpful to take a moment to really like look around the room and just notice, like take inventory of what is in the room around you. Take inventory of like all the food that's in your pantry and where your next meal is coming from. And I, I totally, I want to create space for, I understand that that isn't the reality for everybody listening. And that's a, a different conversation of like when those survival needs aren't being met. But for us who are, you know, like have all of our basic needs are met, take a moment to just notice like you have people in your reality that love you. You have plenty of food. You're going to survive. There's nothing in the space right now that's going to hurt you. And that's also a really, a really useful tool, just using your eyes to notice that there's no danger, actually. And I think that there's something also to be said that like food scarcity is a slower burn than is like a predator or some like danger. Like imagine like you hear a loud bang or something like that. That is when we want that 
sympathetic nervous system to activate. We actually do want, like if you're outside in the woods alone, <laughs> like, like I go all the time, and you hear a noise in the woods, we want every sense of your body to kind of tune in to, and to be like sort of worried for lack of a better word. That That is what we want to experience at that time. But when I am thinking about my finances in my bed at home, like that is not a time when I want to be stressed out and like in a hyper activated state because it's not going to help me to solve any of those problems. It's not going to really help me find any creativity in my brain. The other thing that I want to notice about what you said, you were talking about the resistance to taking a breath and to relaxing, because I think there's a part of us that feels like worrying is useful. And that is like a really interesting thought distinction to make, like to actually ask yourself, is worrying useful? Like it's one thing to strategize or to plan, right? But once you have your strategy and your plan laid out to, to run through the same thoughts over and over and over again, is that useful for you? Ask yourself consciously so that you can kind of allow yourself the space to take a breath. Yeah, totally, totally. And I think that it's really useful too to just be in the practice of noticing what's going on in your physiological state so that you can develop an awareness for when you're dysregulated and when you're not. When I first started looking into this work, I got into it because I was noticing my clients were on Zoom and I'm noticing them like looking around the room and kind of not really able to think things through logically to completion because they would skip from one idea to the next and like really advocating for like, no, like this won't work and this won't work and this won't work and just kind of spinning in it. And then noticing like that they might not even know that they're feeling dysregulated right now. And then I started asking myself, like, do I know when I'm dysregulated? And I was really overcome with a profound sense of surprise when I started looking inward that I was spending most of my time dysregulated. It was either a state of hyperactive, mental, I don't know what to do here, things are complicated, there's no solutions, and then kind of getting worn out from that and then just like sitting in front of the TV and going into a hypoactive state of like just turn everything off because using my brain is kind of feeling overwhelming. And when I start when I started noticing that, I started developing just by developing an awareness, developing an ability to bring myself into a more regulated state. And what's been really interesting about that too is after doing this work for a while, noticing like my capacity for tolerance go up. Noticing that things that used to bother me and I had a really short fuse for suddenly are totally fine and I can sit in more noisy environments, for example, was something that I would get really irritated and feel like, why can't everybody just be quiet? And now I can just sit and be and kind of tune out. And it's been really amazing. And I just want to like underscore how surprised I was, at how dysregulated I was so frequently and had no idea and probably had been that way for decades. Mm. It's interesting. I'm, I'm reminded of... Um sort of my Chinese medicine days where one of the patterns is called liver chi stagnation. And you don't need to know what that means, but essentially that's the Chinese medicine term for like stress. And it's interesting because one of the, one of the markers for uh, liver chi stagnation. So like one of the symptoms that might show up in somebody's life, if that's what they're experiencing is they have an aversion to the wind. They do not like the feeling of the wind on their skin. And it's funny because I'm, I'm being reminded of like what you're talking about. Like if we're like really stressed out, if we're in like that hyper agitated state, 
then if there's a lot of noise in the environment, which is like wind, uh, if there's a lot of like stimulation coming in from the outside, then like we get frustrated, we get irritable. And that is the, that is the, the liver cheese stagnation symptom is you get like frustrated, irritated with the wind. Totally. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting too. That might, yeah, you, you changing your relationship to that might have something to do with habituation as well, because you've been married to me for a while and <laughs> <laughs> I create a lot of noise in the environment. So funny that you would Not change that. Not a quiet human. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really, really nice. Um, sort of plug for mindfulness here, Paige, because mm-hmm. it is a practice to be in mindfulness and mindfulness is not just like, so that you can like, while you're in meditation, be experiencing peace. That is not, I think that is a, a tertiary at best benefit of what's going on with mindfulness practice. Mindfulness practice is about this kind of thing, like noticing what is your state, becoming aware of what thoughts you're thinking in your mind and becoming aware of how your body feels in the moment and cultivating the skill of awareness of your physical state, because it is only once we're aware that we can start to do some of these practices. Like if you're just accidentally feeling anxious all the time and you don't notice it, well, you probably won't notice that now is the time to practice calming your nervous system down either. So by cultivating the awareness of your, your state, your body state, we might notice then when we're in an anxious state, when we're in a depressed state, when we're in a frustrated state, when we're in whatever state, and then, and only when that happens, can we then say, cool, is this the state that I want to be in right now? Like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling anxious. Do, am I at risk of a predator right now? Or am I, would I be more better served having a calm sort of rational mind about what I'm stressed about right now? And then I can start to like make the choices. So it's like, you know, this is the, the age old, uh, kind of, path or I guess process for personal development. First, we got to notice that is the time that is the time to practice our skill. And then we're going to use the the skill too. So it's two parts. First, we want to notice and then we want to practice. Yeah, totally. Another practice that I've been really encouraging lately, just I teach yoga a couple times a month and I love doing a bunch of sun salutations and like really getting that heart rate and breath rate going. And then taking a moment afterwards, I do this every time I teach, just stand, like stand really still and notice your heart rate, notice that it's elevated, notice your breath rate and just engage yourself in a little game of, can I use my mind to slow those down? And, you know, I think that we think like we, our mind doesn't have control over our heart, but I've been playing with this for years. And I know there are several moments where I like unlock and I notice like I'm thinking the thought, just relax. And I notice my heart rate and my breath rate both simultaneously just click down one notch. And I'm absolutely, I'm just convinced that we can control that a lot more than we think we can. Yeah, I think this is actually really useful too, because, and, and this is why that something like the breath surrender is a really effective tool as well, because the breath is like the gateway to the interior you breathe and you, we can choose to breathe consciously, but we don't have to choose to breathe consciously. We'll do it by habit. Even if we don't notice that we're doing it, I have long held the suspicion that that is every process of our body is actually happening that way that we're like, our heart is beating and it is beating by habit. It is an active exercise that we're doing. We just don't know. And we have been doing it for so long literally centuries, eons, the the spark of life has been passed down that we don't even have any idea how to stop if we wanted to stop beating our heart. So I, I think 
look, whether you believe that or not is, is not really relevant, but the thought exercise itself is useful because we can go inside. We can use the breath as a way to like kind of connect with our insides. And then that can be one of the ways that we can really regulate our, our physiology, regulate our, our mind by regulating our physiology. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, anything else critical that you wanted to talk about in this conversation today, Paige? Yeah, I had a couple other things to add to helping people kind of create a toolkit for themselves for regulating activities. And so I wanted to bring in the idea of groundedness. It's one of those words that I hear so frequently, and I think it's worth just taking a second and think about what that really means. And I guess I'd be, I'd be interested to hear what your definition is, is for it and see if it's similar or different from mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think there's the way that a lot of people use it, which is centered, more like becoming centered. But I think that the actual, like the real meaning of it connected to the ground is really useful to just like kind of take stock of that you're not floating in space uh, and that you are in a very real way connected to everything, even through just the gravity that we, ex- that we exert and that the earth exerts on us. Yeah. I have a similar understanding that I, I kind of use it as like a counterpoint to like a sense of headiness. I have a tendency to be very like in my head. And I think that what that means for me is kind of going into that hyperactive a nervous system state where I'm like just in my head spinning loops around the same problems, not able to notice that there are actually solutions because I'm kind of being attached to the sense that things aren't okay. And I like to think of groundedness as taking a step out of mind and coming into body and noticing, like you said, a sense of connection to the earth, a sense of gravitational forces on us, but also noticing like the lack of actual physical danger. And so doing practices like body scans can be really helpful to just notice like what's going on in my body as a way to give my brain a little break, like get out of my head for a little bit and maybe take an exit from those kind of unresourceful thought loops. And also that can be a really great way to create a sense of like connection to present moment as well. And another way to create- Grounded in the present. Yeah, exactly. And I think that there are a lot of ways that can really create presence. So there's also this distinction that too much future focus can create anxiety, too much past focus can create depression. And so one of the ways, one of the exit strategies from either of those two states is to come into the present moment. One way to do that is just noticing our body. But another one is just like, nice. Thanks for the reminder to breathe. That's a great grounding exercise. But another really great tool is practicing gratitude. And what I love about that is we gratitude is a very present moment experience. Even if we're thinking about things from the past, we're still re-experiencing them in the present moment. Yeah, one more uh, note that I wanted to make on groundedness actually is, um, so this is from back in the Kung Fu days, the the interesting thing about all of our power, all of our physical power in the world is that it comes from our connection to the earth. The example that my Kung Fu teacher used to give was he would say, if you're in space, if you're in a spaceship and you punch somebody, it doesn't matter how hard you punch them. They are going to fly off in 
the opposite direction from you and you are going to fly off in the opposite direction from them. And no harm is really going to happen because there's no connection to the earth. And so like, that was like the whole reason for stance training and why we would connect ourselves to our, to our feet when we were doing things. So I think that's a really beautiful metaphor for groundedness and grounding yourself in your body is to realize that all of your power is going to come from your connection to the earth, so to speak. I love that. That's really nice. I have one more and then I think maybe we can start wrapping. I was recently given an invitation in a medita- in a meditation class to sit and find what already feels joyful in my body. And I think that we have such a fixation on what's not going well so often, which is great. Like we want that because that helps us survive, that helps us create change in our reality. But I love the idea of sitting and noticing what's already feeling really good in our body and taking note of that as a way to resource ourselves and remember that the, yeah, we're out there striving and we're wanting things to change and we're reaching for amazing things in our life. And also while we're in journey towards those things, we have access to really beautiful experiences in our bodies in any moment, like just taking a breath and then noticing how good that feels or, you know, and yeah, exactly. Just noticing different sensations in our bodies and noticing it feels good to like have arms and what does this shirt feel like on my skin and things like that. It can be really like really nourishing for our soul and really grounding and present provoking. Yeah, that's really nice. The uh, one of the other centering exercises, the present moment making exercises, which I also think has um, it's like one of those like really lightning quick kind of exercises that at least it works really well for me. I don't know if it'll work for everyone, but the question, what will my next thought be? I love that. Does such a cool thing to my brain when I ask that question, it like it kind of, I, I almost like, I feel like I'm falling into eternity when I ask that question. It's such an interesting, <laughs> such an interesting thought, but that's another one that I use to center myself very quickly, uh, get myself into the present moment very quickly. Cool. I love this conversation. I think that we just created some really, really amazing resource for our listeners to come back to, to leave this podcast Start developing an awareness of where you, what your somatic experience, what your physiological experience is of your reality. And um, come back to this episode to like revisit these exercises that we've shared. And I really want to encourage anybody who's listening to this, if you got any like bit of value or want to share any of these exercises with somebody else, please like send this podcast out. Like this, there's, this is packed with really useful exercises here. Thanks for listening, everyone. Live your freedom, love your life. Thanks so much for listening to the Shift to Freedom podcast. If you want to get the most out of your time here, think about this. What's the one thing from this episode that resonated the most for you? Asking that simple question can help anchor in your insights and remember who you want to be. If there was even a single thought in today's episode that helps you to become even 1% more free, then we are thrilled. If so, would you do us a favor? We're on a mission to spread the message of freedom and we could use your help. See, the algorithms love it when we get reviews, shares, comments, and likes, and then that helps other people like you to find the podcast and just maybe change their lives. So if you like what we're doing and you want to generate some positive karma for the day, please write us a review wherever you get your podcast love. See you next week. And in the meantime, live your freedom and love your life.